the scripture reading for today is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 17. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Missy. Missy was like, read the scripture, and she's like, I'm out of here. I don't even want to know. <laughs> Have you ever been in a dark place? A physically a dark place, not a mentally or emotionally. I don't want us to get that personal that quickly. But have you ever been in a, in a dark place? Maybe it's been your room and the nightlight went out, and so you couldn't see. Or maybe it was just the evening and for some reason the lights that are the street lights haven't come on yet and it's just kind of in that in-between. Uh, when I was a child, we took a family vacation to a place in New Mexico called Carlsbad Caverns. Carlsbad Caverns is a, a big hole, cavern, underneath the ground, it's a cavern, and you go in there, and there's uh, guides that walk you through. Uh, and you see stalactites and stalagmites and however those work. And uh, you kind of walk through, and you get to this place where there's always lights that are shining. And they stop you, and they uh, gather you around, and they tell everybody to get as close as possible to the ones that you love. And they shut off all the lights that are around you. Just turn them all off. And it becomes so dark that you cannot see your hand at all in front of your face. You can have it right here and know that you have it right there, but you can't see it at all. And your eyes are working overtime trying to adjust 
they're, they're trying to open up as much as possible, however that medically is supposed to happen biologically, so that it takes in more light, the light that is clearly present somewhere in that darkness, trying to bring it in so that you could actually see something. But it is so dark that it is almost impossible for that to happen. And there's two things that can happen when you sit in a place that is that dark. One is you can become afraid. You you can move to a place where you think it's never going to be light again. That there's no way or no possible thing that will ever have your eyes see light again. Now, knowing that they're going to flip back on the lights at some point, but there's just that moment of sheer terror. Or there's that place where you think, now's my chance to scare my dad. But as I begin to think, I'm going to walk away just a little bit so when the lights come on, I'm gone and they don't know where I'm at. I went to take that first step and thought, I don't know where I'm at. what, What if I miss and trip over the guardrail and fall further down into Carlsbad Caverns? And then I'm just that dumb kid that walked when it was dark. He's down there. John here is talking about darkness and light. He's been talking about it. And now he's going to transition and say, it's not just about darkness and light. It's about love and hate. These two extremes, not really differences, but two extremes of the same thing. Because darkness is the absence of light. And hate is the absence of love. It's not that they're opposites. It's that one is and one exists only when the other is not present. And and so John wants to take us through this and, and remind us that if we abide in Christ, then we must walk the way that he walked and he walked in light and in love. Last week we talked about light and what it means to walk in the light. And today we'll talk about love and what it means to walk in love. And so John starts off by telling us, Beloved, I'm writing you a new commandment, but an old commandment that you, not a new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. And, and, and first of all, we go, what, what, now wait a minute. Is it an old commandment or is it a new commandment? And I really like this verse because it reminds us how John writes. Because you're going to notice as we continue to go through 1 John here that John doesn't write as a linear line. The the story that he's telling us, the things that he's imparting to us, does not have a beginning and an end necessarily. He's not building a system uh, and putting things on top of each other and saying, once you understand this, now you need to understand this. And once you understand this, you need to understand this. What John actually does through the whole book is he sort of does a circle that is progressively moving, but he comes back and forth towards it. And so you're going to see the word abide, and you're going to see the word love, and you're going to see the word world quite a bit. And what what John is doing is he's moving us someplace, but he's not building it like this. He's saying, we're going to kind of come back around over on top of it. And he lets us know that that's a lot about the kingdom of God. 
That God has said these things before and He refreshes them and says them new in a different way. That God has spoken these things before and He brings them to us again so that we can hear them. It's not that He's reinventing the will. It's not that He's building and saying, here's knowledge and then here's knowledge and then here's knowledge. He's saying, you've had the knowledge. I'm going to remind you of the knowledge in a new way and bring you back into that knowledge. It's very hard sometimes for our minds to get that. We would just prefer five steps and then be done. But that's not what he's doing here. So when he says, I've got this old command, but it's also a new command, the point is this. He's saying, since the beginning, since God has been around, when God called out Israel, he said, here's my command to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love me, and then love others. That's the old command. It's been there since the beginning. But the new command comes because Christ is present. You see, when we heard the old command, when they wanted to strive to accomplish the old command, they had to do it within, or they felt like they had to do it within themselves. That, that I've got to set up a system in order to do this. And what God says now through John is, no, I've had this old command, but I'm giving you this new command, and this new command is available because of Christ Jesus. It's the reason why he says this. At the same time, it's a new command that I'm writing to you, which is true in Him. That Him is Jesus. And also in you. That Jesus, in fact, is the incarnation, the fleshing out of what it means to love God and to love others. And that's the reason why in John chapter 13, Jesus says this in verse 31 and 32. He says, and when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, Yet a little while I am with you, and you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Why? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. See, so, so John is saying, yes, it's old, but it's new. <laughs> that, that, that it was an attempted thing, and now it's a completed thing. And it's completed in Christ. And so we who are abiding in the light and are abiding in God, we step into that and say, this is a completed love, a completed stance, a completed place of being. And so what does that look like? Well, he says this. Whoever says that he is in the light yet hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus has said we're supposed to love our enemies. And we're called to love our neighbors. In the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we hear that. And John is saying here, yes, that's all true, but you're also supposed to love your brothers or your sisters 
those who are part of this abiding fellowship that we have for one another. So it might be good for us to understand what love looks like so we can understand what the absence of love, which is hate, looks like. Scott McKnight says this, that this love is a rugged, self-sacrificing commitment to others, modeled on how Jesus himself sacrificed for us. And he goes on to say that it is a love that is with others, that is for others, and that it is unto others. And those are important words that McKnight uses. It's unto Christ-likeness, that it's moving us to the very image of Christ. That idea of with others, it means that it is a love of presence. That love is a love that we want to be together, that we are not alone, that we recognize that isolation is a bad thing. Not that we can't have alone time. Some of us desperately need alone time. Some of us more than others. Some of us don't think we need it, and maybe we should have a little bit of it. So it's not about that, but it's about the fact that we recognize as those who are in Christ that we are made for each other. And so we want to be with each other. And that's not just by hanging out and having tea, but that's by living, this is a scary word, intrusively with one another. That we move into each other's lives and recognize where there is hurt. How can I come along in that hurt? And when there is celebration, how can I come along in that celebration? And when there's opportunity for challenge, how do I come along in that challenge? And when there's opportunity for comfort, how do I come along in that comfort? That we don't hesitate to look at others around us and say, here is my life opened up completely to you. I want you to know my heart. I want you to know my thoughts. I want you to know my deeds. And so I will not hide anything from you, but I will allow you to know me completely. Are you feeling like Missy and wanting to run out the back door? <laughs> so it is with, it is a presence, but it is for as well. It's recognizing that there is a place of advocacy for those who God has put in our lives. That we're not just with them, hanging out with them, getting to know them, letting them know who we are, but we are also for them, actively pursuing their hearts, saying let's together join and bring about God's kingdom. Let's together join one another and push forward for the things that God has called us to. That we're moved to sharpen one another for the glory of God. And so we are with and we are for, but more than that, it is progressive. It is directional. It is unto Christ's likeness. So it's not just about having great community. But it's that in this abiding with God and one another, in this deep, rugged, self-sacrificing commitment towards God and one another, that we move towards Christ's likeness that we move to the place where we reflect who Jesus is. So that in fact, we live out what Jesus proclaimed there in John 13, that they will know you are my followers because you love one another. John Christensen, who was about 4,000 AD, wrote this. He said, the surest sign that we're an imitator of Christ is that we care for our neighbors. 
that we care for those who are around us. So that's what love looks like. So the absence of love becomes hate. And how does hate manifest itself? Most fully, it manifests itself by disregard. If love is with and for and moving in a direction unto, then hate is disregard. Hate says, without you, I'm better. I don't need to move forward in any direction. You stay right here. Or I'll stay where I'm at. And you go along. Hate says it doesn't matter what happens in your life. I don't care what takes place in your life. We oftentimes look at hate and think it's rage. But rage is passionate. Hate is cold. And he says that the world operates in hate. In total disregard for anybody else or anything. Only about self. And that's why we know God wants to transform us away from that stance of hate. Because hate only leads to self-destruction. Because in isolation, we will move towards self-destruction. When we place ourselves completely on the throne, we will move towards destruction. We can't help it. It's not that we won't accomplish and do good things. We will. But ultimately, if we move our hearts away from love and into hate, away from Christ and into the world, we cannot help but fall. And that's what John says here. It is a word of opposition. Interestingly enough, we recognize that it says those who walk in the light, whoever abides in the light and in Him, there is no cause of stumbling. But whoever hates his brother and is in darkness walks in the darkness and he doesn't know where he's going because he is blind. Recognize here that as we walk in the love of God and in the light that we're able to see and not only are we able to see, we're able to help those others around us from stumbling. But when we're in the dark, we're just like me as a kid in Carlsbad Caverns and I can't see my hand in front of my face. So for those of you who are here that maybe you're in this place where you're trying to figure out what this relationship with Jesus is or you're trying to to kind of go through, do I believe this or do I not believe this or what does it look like? Let me just invite you to say, it might be dark where you're at and you might be having trouble seeing. And we're so grateful that you're here with us because we have a glimmer. (laughs) Let me just, just... Full disclosure, oftentimes those of us who are supposed to be abiding in the light walk around with our eyes closed. We're in the light, but we walk around with our eyes closed and we don't see you. We don't see where we're going either. And so we set really poor examples of what it looks like to walk in the light. So first, let me say, forgive us. Our lives don't always recognize light. But second, let me say, there's no better place for you to be than with a bunch of people who sometimes at least open their eyes a little bit to see the light. (laughs) Because darkness leads to destruction, but light leads to life. Because in light, 
we don't cause stumbling and we don't stumble. But in darkness, we don't know where we're going. Then John has this like little poem thing, these little quick instructions that he puts in here. And he says children, and then he says fathers, and then he says young men. And we have to go, okay, so women don't matter? Is that what he's saying there? So there's a couple ways that we can look at this. The first way that we can look at this is that in that culture, in that time, in that place, addressing women was unusual. So anytime we see in the New Testament when any of the authors of the epistles are addressing women, understand that was radically different. Right? That, that them by doing that, they're including them into the kingdom, which was unheard of, wouldn't be done. So that's pretty amazing. So it could be here that John just has fallen back into that system thinking, I'm just going to talk to the, the men because that's culturally what happened. It also could be that he's using it as an analogy and he doesn't want people to get tripped up on it. And so what he's saying is there's children. Now he's called all of them children before. So children is sort of the beginning place. Dear children, beloved children, little children. And then when he talks about fathers, he's talking about those who are more mature in their walk with Christ. And when he talks about young men, he's talking about those who are in process, who have been walking along. Now, I tend to think that that's probably the way that John wanted it to be. And that's what he was saying. What, what he was saying here is that, look, little children, meaning those who are beginning this faith walk, recognize that you're forgiven, your sins are forgiven for His name's sake, and that you now know the Father. Those are the two things that he says to the children. So he's talking about who these people are who walk in the light. What do they look like? He says, one, that their sins are forgiven. That they, their sins are forgiven. That, you, that you've moved from death into life, from darkness into light, from hate into love, from animosity into community. That's where you're at now because your sins have been forgiven. We talked a little bit about that last week. And then the second thing that he says is that you know the Father. Now, interestingly enough, that's also the same thing that he says to the fathers or those who are more mature. And he says it to them twice. I'm writing this to you, fathers, because you know have known him from the beginning. And this, again, is not an, a, a, a cursory knowing or a, a, a head knowledge knowing, but this is an intimate, loving, relational knowing. Isn't it great that the little children and the fathers have the same thing? Right? That should be good news for us because oftentimes, look, look, Yes, I'm a preacher and I preach almost every Sunday and I've been raised by Christians and I was born into a Christian family. But there are moments and places in my life where I am still a little baby. Where I forget that my sins have been forgiven. See, the little baby, that little child, why, why is he writing it? I want you to know that your sins are forgiven. That's why I'm writing this to you. Your sins are forgiven. I forget that. And I, and I walk around in shame and in guilt and I, and I hide myself from God and from others and they can't possibly know this about me because if they did, they would hate and despise me. 
And in fact, God says, no, I love you and I'm coming for you and I want you. But on top of that, I also know the Father. Just like those who are mature. What's the ultimate goal? It's to know the Father. To know who He is and what He brings to us. And then he says, those who are around, those who are moving, those who are growing, you've overcome the evil one. You are strong. Why? He says, you've overcome the, the, the evil one in the first part. And then he says, and you are strong and you've overcome the evil one. But why? Because the word of God abides in you. The word of God. Both Scripture, both the Word written out, proclaiming God's grace and mercy and love, but the Word incarnate, Jesus Christ, like we read at our call to worship, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That we abide in that as well. And He abides in us. And so those of us who are walking in the light, who aren't in the darkness, who, who love our brothers and don't hate our brothers, then we have this sort of progression that we see happening. But again, it's not just a progression that's start and finish, but it circles back on one another. You've heard it said here before, unless this is your first time and it hasn't been said yet, that at Fremantle Church we like to be a place you can belong before you believe. But we don't want you just to stay belonging. We want you to move to belief. Because we know that as you move to belief, you move to a place where you become. You become all of who God wants you to be. All of who God designed you to be. And in becoming that, then you become the church. You be. You be the church. The body of Christ. But we also recognize that that's not just a linear path or stair steps that go from the bottom to the top. We recognize that oftentimes there are places where I belong in my belief and there are places where I belong and I'm still struggling to believe. That in some ways I kind of circle back and forth through that over and over again until I see God in His glory. And then he says this. So there's two commands here that he really gives to us. The first one is don't walk in darkness but walk in light. And the second one is this, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the prides of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So again, we have this word world that comes up. So what does he mean here? What John is meeting here is that the world is the evil system that is organized and controlled by the dominion of Satan. That is the world that is darkness, not the world that is light. What he's saying is it's those things, and he, and he spells them out for us. He says they're the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. They're those things that take us from moving our eyes off of God and moving our eyes onto ourselves. Some would say that that's what happened initially in the garden. That when Eve pulled the fruit down, whatever it happened to be, and looked at it, she recognized that it was pleasing to her eyes, that it would fill up her stomach, and that it would give her the knowledge of good and evil. That she saw that it was good to herself, that sensory, that she said, yes, this is good. 
but she also knew that it would fill a craving that she had within herself and that it would give her knowledge that she would be like God. Now, Adam was standing there the whole time, so he didn't get off the hook. He saw that it was good to his eyes, <laughs> would be filling for himself, and that he would be like God as well. So don't blame it on Eve, because it wasn't. It was both of them. And they looked at it, and they saw it, and they said, yes. And they took a bite. What John is saying here is that we can identify and see those things that are of the world. And ultimately, those things are the things that turn our eyes off of God and back onto ourselves, onto our own personal desires, onto the things that we want, the things that we think will make us better, the things that we long for. Now, that's not to say that God in his wisdom and mercy and providence hasn't put things in our hearts that are good, that we desire. That's the reason why it's dangerous when we see that don't love the world or anything in the world. We have a tendency to take things and go, all right, if that's the case, then I better really put things in a box. And we either become hermits or we run away from electricity because that's of the world. Or we say, well, I can't possibly have that great meal or see that movie. Look, there's foods you shouldn't eat. Deep fried foods with frosting in the middle that you then fry and then have the frosting and the fried food. Probably not shouldn't eat. There's movies you shouldn't watch, books you shouldn't read. Not because they're going to send you to hell, not because they're going to destroy your life, but because they're going to eat you up on the inside like you don't know and recognize. But that's not to say that everything in the world is bad. Because it's not. There are things that God has put in the world to give us enjoyment, to allow us to recognize His beauty, to know who He is. And so we should take full advantage of those things. We should participate in them with vigor. Those of us who are in the light, we should be the biggest advocates for joy in the things that God has created. And not just advocates of joy for the things that God has created, but sustaining those things that God has created. Not using them up just for our own good pleasure and not worrying about what's to come, but actually taking care in our enjoyment of those things. Once got a car, I've had too many cars, and in that car, we got a ding on it. And my friend said, oh, don't worry about it, it's going to burn up anyway. The end of the world's going to burn up anyway. Okay. But shouldn't I care for it and enjoy it now? Yes. We should. We should care for it and enjoy it now. And so we recognize that we don't love the world. We don't go towards those things that are against how God has created the world, that we turn our eyes off of ourselves and back on to God. Because in that moment of turning our eyes off ourselves and back on to God, when we lower our gaze away from Him, it is no longer focused on ourselves, but focused on those who are outside of ourselves. You see, because when I take my mind and my eyes off of looking this way, and I look up, I have to pass back by 
fuel before I get back here. And God says, I have come to you to bring you to the place of seeing my love for you so that you can love all those who are around you. So in the cavern, when I was thinking I wanted to walk away and hide and scare my parents, I didn't because I realized I had no clue where I was going. And instead, when the lights came on, I found that I had grabbed hold of my dad's arm. And I looked and saw that my sister, who was three years younger than me, had put her arms around my dad and my mom. That somehow in that darkness, we felt the need to get as close. If we, it, can we just become one so that we wouldn't be scared? The world is passing away. Here's, here's the promise that we have. The world is passing away. The darkness is fleeing. It is rapidly running. It is being conquered and has been conquered. The world and darkness is passing away. But if we do the will of God, if we love Him and love others, if we step into the reality of who He's made us to be, we will be then forever in the light. And not just so, oh good, when I die I've got a really great place to go. But in the light now. As close as we can be to God and to one another. So that we can see all that God has done. Let me pray for us. Father, You are good. And all You do is good. Bring us into Your light. Thank You for calling us to Your light that is transformative, that changes who we are, that moves us from darkness, who opens our eyes, who doesn't allow our blindness to stay, but then puts us in a place where we can not only see You, but we can help others see You, that we are no longer stumbling blocks, but that we are those who lift up and help folks see light. And we do that through Your love, the love that You have given to us. Let us rest in that. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing?